the Cock and Bull Podcast. I'm Spencer, and over there is Nathan. Nathan, say hello. Hi, I'm Nathan. I'm also and on the Cock and Bull Podcast. Communism, communism, communism. Folks, I can't hide it any longer. I've put up the charade for too long. It's been eating away at my mind. <laughs> You've put up this charade. I've been acting as Nathan for the past 12 months. That's right. Ever since episode 71, which was about 12 episodes ago and about 12 months ago. So you, you did you, your research. You averaged about one episode a month. I did check this. I've There's been, no way. There's no way we averaged one a month. That's way too many. Uh, I've been acting like Nathan. I'm a skilled uh, voice actor. So please in, hire me. This is our coming clean. You know, I had to delude myself because roughly 12 months ago... Um, Nathan, Nathan was uh, seduced by another another voice. Um, this harlot by the name of David has taken him away from me, mm. and um, I, I can never have him back. He's been wooed by the wiles of New York communism, and frankly, I I just it's so hard to compete when all you have is Halo references. You know, Spencer, I I will always be here for you. Uh, I know you've been for the past for the 12 past months. twelve months. And 12 episodes. Ben, please. Uh, do you want me to tell a story this time? I would love for you to tell a story oh, let this me, time. Uh, uh, um, okay, I got one here right out of my trash can because I was the only thing I had nearby for fully. Is it next to all of your other scrapped superhero outfit designs? <laughs> it's like filled to the brim with rejects. They're just Nathan's clothes that I managed to steal from his trash can out back. Anyway. We're starting in Madrid, Spencer. So get in that mind space. People are speaking Spanish. All right, I'm there. Uh, it's, it's 1941. God, it's warm out. Do they live like this? The Nazis, uh, their secret intelligence agency, which uh, throughout the research of this, never found a name for, uh, was contacted by a young Spanish government official who is just fanatical about Hitler, Nazism, and his new world order. He possessed something the Nazis really wanted uh, friends who are British diplomats, as well as a passport that could get him into Great Britain. We've established a Spaniard who is friends with a lot of British people mm -hmm. and loves Hitler. Yeah. Uh, I know a bit of background to the uh, Spain had recently been through a civil war. And so about half the company was really pro Nazi at this point. So, now, two things. One, you called a country a company, and two, <laughs> you know, <laughs> was Spain? Where did Spain sit? You said, so it's like half of them fell with, fell in with the fascists, right? Yes. Half like of them how fell recently in with the did they get out of a civil war? Um, it, it was about ten years from the early thirties uh, to the forties. Interesting. So this was okay. right after that. That's because I can I can picture the European theater. I can picture that Western Front, mm -hmm. and I can almost never yeah. imagine how Spain falls into any. Generally, of it. they don't mention Spain. They're just like, and the rest of Europe was there too. I'm inclined to just believe they were there with Italy. Uh, so he was quickly taken on by the Nazis, given the code name Arabel, or uh, I have also seen it him called Alaric, uh, but. Whatever. Uh, and sent off to uh, London to spy on the British. While he was in London, he recruited uh, locals that were sympathetic to the Nazis, creating a spy network of nearly 27 people. By nearly, I mean exactly. Uh, and sent back hundreds of detailed reports on the Allies. 
If you sent me into a foreign country and said, make 27 friends now, I would, I would honestly just kind of embrace the bullet then. I'm not gonna, mission failed. <laughs> we'll get him next time, boss. He was briefly arrested by the British government, and though they did not charge him with anything, he quickly what? left London. What for? Being Spanish in Britain or uh, making 26 friends I, in 24 hours? They, they suspected him of being a spy. Oh, this one's a prostitute. He knows too many folks. He, he continued to stay in the country uh, and reported on British whereabouts until the end of the war. Uh, and eventually earned an iron cross from the Nazis, uh, which was usually reserved for the soldiers on the front lines, and then disappeared after the war. Really hope they didn't send that to him in the mail. I feel like the postman. That would be a dead giveaway. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they actually did it over the radio. Uh, I don't know how. <laughs> that's not even a joke. I don't know how that didn't get, you know, there's only like 50 radio waves or whatever the fuck. <laughs> It doesn't feel as rewarding when you when you when you learn you've kind of gotten that sweet promotion through coded language on the number station. It does not feel it's like your dad has to praise you in private. It's uh, like, come on, just stay in front of the neighbors, loud and clear, uh, please. Ah, uh, Arabelle, they just said four five nine eight six. If they say two three nine four three two, that means you get the Iron Cross. <laughs> so. <laughs> So you, so you got Arabelle in your mind there? Yeah, I've got, got a clear picture of okay. Arabelle here. So now we got to jump back a little bit. Still in Spain. Well, back in Spain. Uh, in the 1930s. Uh, a man named Juan Pujol Garcia was not having a good decade. Uh, <laughs> to start out, he tried opening two unsuccessful movie theaters. Uh <laughs> How do you fuck that up twice? The, o the only way is if you keep opening it across the street from another movie theater. <laughs> he then opened up a chicken farm, which also failed. Mm. Uh, then found himself drafted into the Spanish Civil War, uh, which he quickly fled and then was quickly caught and thrown in jail. And then okay. uh, found himself being a participant in an impromptu jailbreak. And once again fled and went into hiding. Uh, and apparently at this point, he was so emaciated from poverty and being in jail that he was able to forge a document saying that he was too old for military service. I, okay, that, that one's got to feel bad to get away with, first of <laughs> all. And second, and second... Um, I believe he's emaciated. He's probably been eating just uncooked popcorn kernels for the past, <laughs> like, 30 fucking years. <laughs> After both those theaters sank, he was like, no! What do I do? <laughs> While he was working in a hotel in Madrid, uh, Pujol managed to meet an official who was willing to trade him a passport in exchange for some old scotch, because Spain sucked. <laughs> And apparently you just got blank passports sitting around, I guess. I mean, I think the military officials could get you passports, but they were uh, a hotly traded commodity. Mm, yep, uh, just so, like prison cigarettes. You know, after this, uh, this shitty, shitty decade, he was finally going to be able to leave Spain. Except that it was September 1939 and England had just declared war on Hitler. Effectively trapping him in Spain. <laughs> mm. Now, 
is this, did this shut down the, the number of boats leaving the country? Am I missing a, a key uh, detail here? Uh, from what I can glean, uh, basically most of Europe that wasn't Nazi controlled closed its borders. Hmm. Mm, probably to stop um, Spanish spies from getting in. <laughs> later, uh, after when bleh, later when he uh, was writing a book recounting this, uh, Pujol would recall that once he heard rumors of the uh, concentration camps in German, uh, quote, my humanist convictions would not allow me to turn a blind eye to the enormous suffering that was being unleashed by this psychopath. Uh and if you're a bit lost, that psychopath is referring to Hitler. Winston Churchill. Oh, man, I should have done no? more research if that was referring to Winston Churchill. <laughs> so Pujol, at this point, was determined to assist the ally cause. He knew he wasn't suited for the front lines, though. And he wanted instead to be behind em enemy lines. He approached the British embassy in 1941 and politely asked if he could be a spy. Uh, the British were not too keen on it, given that he was a failed chicken farmer turned hotel manager, and turns out, not at all trained in espionage. <laughs> I don't know, he just made a very persuasive argument. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think it's a rather hard sell. Uh, isn't this kind of the meat grinder of the European theater? Aren't we chucking all the bodies we can into this conflict? You know, you would think so, but the from reading some stuff about the uh, British spy network in the early war, uh, they were a bit uh, bad. Oh, they were particular? They, they weren't, no, they weren't particular, they just were bad at their job. Oh, I understand. <laughs> uh, but he came back again, and they again told him to leave. So he sent oh. his wife, and Spencer... What, what do you think they said to his wife? Here's the thing. I don't know how to tell the Taco Bell clerk that my burrito was not grilled enough, but my girlfriend does. Mm. So I feel like she got him the position. Mm. You know, Spencer, she didn't. They told her to uh, stuff uh, it. Fuck! So, uh, that's most he, un -British. Then he went home and gave up, and that's how he lived out the rest of his life. And that's the, You've been listening that's to the, the end of this podcast. <laughs> um, this has been a by what? No, there's so, more. So, Spencer, what what do you think happened next? What do you think Pujol's next move was? If you can't beat him, join him. Is he just going to go join the Nazis? Spencer, that's uh, exactly what he's going to do. He went and contacted the German embassy and said he wanted to spy for the Nazis. Uh, they were far less reluctant than the British, and they offered him employment after he professed his love of Hitler and produced, produced a falsified visa of entry to Britain. Now, uh, what do you think his code name is? I'm gonna guess Arabelle? Yeah! <laughs> Our little friend Arabelle, uh, actually, still did not want to, uh, still did not want to fight. Ooh, sorry. Our little friend Arabelle there. Uh, still didn't actually want to, you know, serve on the side of the Nazis. Uh, so what he did have the intention of doing, though, was becoming a uh, freelance a, double agent. A bad spy. <laughs> so his, if the British won't take him, he's just going to spy poorly <laughs> for the Nazis. Spencer, that is exactly <laughs> what he's going to do. 
Oh my god, what kind of like made up bullshit does he throw at them? Spencer, he was told to move to London, and instead Uh he moved to Lisbon and just bought a traveler's guide to England, a map, grabbed a couple of magazines, and just started making shit up. (laughs) This information was not, uh, number one, accurate or... Number two, very useful, you don't but say. apparently was good enough that the Germans thought it was true. Uh, and so they were like, this guy is definitely in London. He, uh, but th- this may have been because he uh, had a, the ingenious idea of, uh, since he knew that there were going to be some factual errors, given that he was working off of basically uh, a book, a couple of magazines and a map. Uh, so he invented a bunch of agents that worked for him so that whenever there would be fictitious information that was determined to be fictitious, he'd just say, oh, that was my uh, employee. He he was the one who said this bad thing. I'll, I'll fire him. Wrong. How, how much useful sounding yet false things can he make up? Spencer, there is literally at least one... Uh, <laughs> one quoted one uh because it was wrong uh where he sent back talking about the wine drinking habits in glasgow which i don't know if you know about glasgow but number one they don't drink wine but no uh, grapes don't grow there apparently the germans loved it they just loved getting all this completely useless information so he uh goes back to the british embassy uh, okay. tells them about this and they said we still don't want you <laughs> you are effectively a double agent you have you have an in with the germans but we don't need that yeah all he's good at is sending the germans meaningless wrong information like m- benign facts that does not make him a spy he just <laughs> <laughs> he's just a fake news outlet <laughs> <laughs> Juan Pujol Garcia was the real fake news. So he was undeterred. Uh, and so he continued to send information to the Germans until uh, he hit what one might call an accidental big break. Uh, he oh. told the Germans that a convoy of five allied ships was headed to Malta from Liverpool. Uh, and it turned mm. out that this thing he had made up was entirely true. The British started panicking, looking for whoever was sending information to the Germans. The Germans, after finding out that this was completely true, started fully trusting him. Which leads me to believe that up to this point, there was an air of skepticism. <laughs> well, mein Fjord, he reports a Lava a Pinot Grigio vintage. <laughs> I don't know, keep him under your radar. <laughs> None of it was particularly <laughs> useful. I think that's, I think it was really the fact that they were just getting these reports and they were like, it might be wrong, but it doesn't matter that it's wrong because he's reporting about the drinking habits of the Scottish. So, luckily for Pool, by the time the British found him, uh, he had pulled off a second successful stunt that saved his ass. Uh, this time, he reported on a convoy that didn't exist, and the Germans spent tons of fuel and hours of time trying to find and sink this convoy. <sighs> so now, 
the Allies wanted him. They quickly smuggled him out of Lisbon, and our good old friend Juan Pujol Garcia is going pro. He's going pro. He did it. Oh my god, he roided up and did it. It just goes to show, there's that saying of you can get like a thousand chimps in a room and inevitably one of them's going to crank out Shakespeare. You can make up so many benign <laughs> facts about the English Empire that eventually one of them's going to be kind of true. One of them will be valuable military information. <laughs> <laughs> if this guy ends up doing like Operation Mincemeat or some shit, I'm going to lose my mind. So Spencer, he's recruited into MI5 as a double agent. Um, and he was assigned the Spanish-speaking handler Tomas Harris, uh, partially because uh, throughout all of this, uh, Pujol does not speak very much English. <laughs> Which I, That's... I I thought that that would have been, you know, number one thing they ask when they send you to London as a Nazi like... spy is, hey, do you speak any English? But... Given that this, given his track record so far, he probably just said yes and don't ask me anymore. And they were like, good enough for us. I shall say no more. Uh, and he was given the code name Garbo. Um, <laughs> favorite, first of all, favorite nickname any character on this entire show has ever had. Second, Spitzer, I'll be honest, part of the reason I wanted to do this story was just because he was a spy named Garbo. Named Garbo, yeah. Tre checks out, totally tracks. Um, I feel like the Austin Powers trilogy would have been a lot better if he was named Garbo, International <laughs> Man of Mystery. <laughs> and he barely spoke English. <laughs> So Harrison Garbo uh, begins sending so many letters, uh, having sent over 300 uh, by the end of the story, that uh, the Nazis that Pujol was uh, working with in Madrid just chose not to employ any further spies in the UK. Well, of course. I mean, Garbo's got all the fucking quantity over quality. He's... <laughs> Why would you get anybody else that could, you know, corroborate information? <laughs> It's not like you want to win the war. <laughs> so since Pujol is now working with the British as Garbo, uh, he had access to actual ally intel. And uh, Harris and Pujol decided that to keep up appearances, they should start sending real intel, but just make sure that the Germans didn't get it in time. Uh there was what? Hmm? <laughs> what? So, 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 what? He's going to be sending letters after, like, three days after a British attack about said attack. They're going to be like, "Oh, my God, this is valuable." So, at least it would have been seventy-two hours ago. <laughs> Spencer, uh, for Operation Torch in Northern Africa, which was uh, an attack on Northern Africa. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> Pujol spent, sent information from his spies, uh, which was supposed to mislead the Germans about where the Allies might be attacking. Um, when you say Pujol sent information from his spies... Oh, none of them are real. Okay, he, I was, was going to say, I thought his spies them. was a map no, and, they, and a, <laughs> a fucking brochure. They were addressed from the spies that supposedly worked under him, which were just uh -huh. him and in his, his little, own little fictitious yeah, mindscape. Um, 
so the person the intel that he was sending personally was correct um but the excuse me but mi5 uh purposely delayed it so that it would arrive just in time so that the germans would get it beforehand but without time to act on any of the information in it um mm. so the germans having this happen to them were still very pleased with how detailed this report is and they sent back that they were sorry that they arrived too late but his last <laughs> reports were magnificent <laughs> oh my god <laughs> nazis big simpin for garbo <laughs> now uh there's one big one i want to get to uh but he had a few other minor antics with the germans uh in one instance he gave uh the germans had asked him for a timetable for the trains so that they could bomb civilian trains oh. uh and he fabricated one that was just one day out of date so they were bombing yesterday's trains. <laughs> That'll show yesterday's civilians. Uh, when the Germans asked him to uh, report on a uh, failed plane, uh, a bomber plane, he uh, had himself uh, arrested and then let go so that he could say that he could no longer work out of London and thus could no longer spy on the plane. Um, and and they said, we totally understand, buddy. Here's your next month's salary in advance. He, <laughs> he, uh, he basically said, you know, if it was... The, this is uh, uh, paraphrasing the quote, but he says, uh, if it wasn't for my... Uh, Devotion to the cause, I would give up right now since I can no longer be in London. <laughs> uh, my personal favorite little story of his is that the Nazis apparently attacked a civilian plane that was flying from Portugal to London. And uh, Pujol apparently gave them such an earful, fabricating that one of his fictitious spy pilots could have been flying that plane, oh. that they never <laughs> attacked another civilian plane along that route. Oh, God. Just and, and really, what better role for a spy than pilot? Think of all the information you could get. Attention, ladies and gentlemen, this is your pilot speaking. Please bring any and all <laughs> relevant military information to the cockpit. And I'll get us there 20 minutes faster. Thank you. <laughs> so innocuous. Who would guess? <laughs> so, Spencer. Uh, oh, there's a plane. I'm, yeah, I know. The Nazis aren't shooting it down. <laughs> uh, I'm going to let this plane pass because it's right above me. And I feel like you can hear it. Okay. Uh, so, Spencer. Pujol's real crowning achievement. Uh, came in 1944. It's not Operation Mincemeat. I just want to... He, he I'm still expecting it. He wasn't the you homeless can... man. Uh, so <laughs> Britain was preparing for D-Day, and the Germans mm -hmm. had caught on. Uh, the Nazis sent Arabella a clear job, find out exactly where the British are planning to attack. Garbo's job from MI5 was... Less straightforward. He wasn't supposed to convince the British or 
he wasn't supposed to convince the Germans that the British weren't planning to attack because it was too obvious. Of course. He was just supposed to convince them that it was happening somewhere else. Right. Uh, this whole thing was given the name Operation Fortitude. Okay. So, All right. The first con of Operation Fortitude was convincing the Nazi forces that the Allies' main goal was the Pas de Calais, uh, a region north of Normandy, not Normandy. Mm-hmm. And the second con, uh, fabricating a fictitious million-man army to attack it. That second one sounds like a tall order. I just, my spies have uncovered they have a race of mole people that have been living underground this whole time, and they're waiting to strike. You know, Spencer, it would be real, uh, real difficult to pull that off. And I, I don't think that any person could pull that off. Of course, nobody could. Unless they, for example, had the, uh backing of the entire British Empire that was willing to basically do anything to make sure that D-Day was a success. Uh, So, bolstered by Pujol's fake intelligence, uh, the British Army created the first United States Army Group, uh, which was nothing more than inflatable tanks and boats, fake hospitals, and wooden airships down in the southern part Mm. of England. Uh, The king... They made... The king... Appeared Just in. Stop, stop it. No, stop no, it. No, Bl- I. Spencer, Infl- let me. Inflatable. Get- <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? The king was old time photoshopped in newspapers inspecting what? this fake army. And. I hope, not too close up, I hope. Otherwise, you'll see the fucking plastic caps on your balloon tanks. <laughs> and. Uh, U.S. General George S. Patton, uh, who was supposedly in charge of this fake army, uh, mm-hmm. had to tour around the south of France, going to these fake facilities, just to make the whole thing look real. <laughs> the resources you've spent building fake hospitals and inflatable tanks probably could have been spent building a slightly smaller amount of real hospitals <laughs> and real tanks. So... Yes. <laughs> and mm-hmm. as we all know, the uh, British wasted all their resources here and famously lost D-Day. Can you imagine, though, if if, if, if they had lost why. D-Day? Someone probably would have been like, man, the British shouldn't have spent so much goddamn time faking an army. <laughs> A million man army at that. Oh, <laughs> my God. just the and- biggest army. <laughs> I feel like we're taking credit away from Mincemeat. Uh, Mincemeat is not about D-Day. Mincemeat is about the attack in Sicily, so don't give me that shit. You're right. Oh my god. I thought that was D-Day. I didn't just look it up earlier to make sure that Mincemeat didn't have anything to do with this. I did. Uh, So, now, Spencer, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, World War II history. Uh, How how do you think D-Day went? Well, I feel like that fascist Winston Churchill was finally toppled. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I remember there. Weird that weird Tom that Churchill Hanks. weird that Churchill was toppled from this, given that it was the Allies attacking the Germans. Let me tell you what I know about D Day. There was a dude with a claymore and a longbow <coughs> going up the beaches uh, by the name of Jack Churchill, and he was a mad fucking bastard. <laughs> Tom Hanks was there. Mm-hmm. Some guy's guts fell out. 
Another dude was walking around without an arm. I'm pretty sure a boat fell over or something. Correct. I think a couple boats fell over onto the sand and then troops <laughs> fell out of them. And then they were like, we should attack this beach, boys. So, Spencer, it, since you clearly don't know about D-Day, the, uh, the invasion was a success. And it turns out that Operation Fortitude uh, was a crucial part of that success. Because uh, it didn't just keep the Germans from having their full forces at Normandy. Because uh, Pujol, through his uh, communications during the attack, managed to convince the Germans that the 1st U.S. Army Group was still waiting in England. And they were going to attack a second location. And the attack in Normandy was just a diversion. Uh it mm, this feels like one of those orders Garbo would have sent out um, that arrives just a moment too late. No, that uh, that one arrived just on time. Turns out that the fake information can get there. Uh, the legends say that this ruse was so believed by the Nazis that uh, there was a that Hitler killed himself. <laughs> there was a contingent of tanks that was headed towards Normandy that they turned around and had go back to defending the Pied de Calais instead of heading to Normandy because they believed that this second army was going to attack. Out fucking played. Spencer. You Nazi bastards. They continued to believe that this attack was coming for an entire month. (laughs) He wouldn't lie to us. (laughs) They're coming, I swear. Now, Spencer, obviously, um, the Germans didn't didn't like uh, Arabelle much after this, right? Well, no. I mean, people make mistakes. Yeah. Uh, in fact, this didn't put a damper on his relationship with the Nazis. <laughs> you know how I mentioned Arabelle getting an Iron Cross earlier? It was for this, right? Uh, I, I don't know if it was for this, but it was given to him a month after D-Day. For the honor of fucking up the Normandy invasion. <laughs> Give it to him over the radio. I just want to... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Over the radio in coded language. I... Oh my god. Now, I, I do want to point out, the over the radio thing is not a joke. No, I get it. <laughs> I get it. Just Garbo here's got the most fucking plump kissable lips and the Germans know he can do no the, wrong. The funniest thing, too, is that the Iron Cross, as far as I know, had to be approved by Hitler. So mm-hmm. Hitler, having just failed the D-Day attacks, uh, was like, yeah, that spy who fucked the whole thing up, go ahead and give him an Iron Cross. <laughs> Listen, every minute he spent scrutinizing who got an Iron Cross was a minute he wasn't shooting up meth. (laughs) Or shooting himself. Or shooting himself. So, Spencer, unfortunately, uh, even though he was given one of the highest honors in the Nazi army, all Mm -hmm. was not to be well for uh, Juan Pujol Garcia. Uh, As a few months later... uh, MI5 and him became uh, very afraid that he was going to be discovered as a double agent. Um, of Two months after that, he was uh, made a member of the MBE, which is the most excellent order of the British Empire, which is the most British name for a group I can think of. Really uh, thought that was like a side gig for the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yeah, 
Uh, it sounds made up, but it is uh, Im- apparently uh, the thing that actually makes you become a knight. Although I don't think he was a knight. I think it's just becoming a member of the most excellent order of the British Empire uh, is, in fact, a part of becoming so, a knight. Not a knight, just a mube. Mube. <laughs> a mube. Uh, and this gives him uh, an important little distinction because uh, the remaining Nazis did not learn that they had been deceived until well after the Nazi apparatus actually fell apart following uh, Hitler killing himself. So he remains one of, if not the only person, that was awarded military commendations from both the Axis and the Allies. No shit. Yeah. No other double agents got that honor? No other double agents were given the Iron Cross, as far as I know. Wow. Uh, wow. Congratulations, Garbo. I've almost forgotten your real name by this point. <laughs> and so fleeing retribution, uh, he fled to Africa. And then unfortunately, five years later, in 1949, uh, he died of malaria. Well, he should have gone to a less malaria-ridden place. Yeah, he really should have. And turns out he did. Uh, cause MI5 had helped him what? fake his death. Fuck <laughs> he never me. went to Africa. He had actually fled to Venezuela, uh, where he lived in relative peace until 1984, when the British journalist Nigel West spent almost a decade searching for him. Uh, and according to Nigel West, uh, this included a period where him and his assistant went through the, uh, went through the Venezuelan phone book and just called everyone in it named Juan Pob or I keep saying Pablo Juan Pujol, uh, which if you are not aware of how common that name is in <laughs> Spanish speaking countries, uh, it's about the equivalent of trying to find a specific person named John Smith, just trying to go through every single John Smith in the phone book in Utah. <laughs> what at that after a certain point you can't even like try and discreetly ask it's just the minute they pick up the phone hello did you spy for the nazis <laughs> were you a double agent <laughs> i don't have time for this shit anymore you're the 300th pool i've called are you garbo <laughs> garbo yes no fuck <laughs> hang up <laughs> Uh, he legitimately, as far as I know, unless there's, uh, more to this story that is yet to be found out, um, he legitimately died in 1988, uh, in Caracas, uh, survived by the two sons he had in Venezuela. Um, one of whom would go on to play for the St. Louis Cardinals. <laughs> you thought I wouldn't slip it in, but I'm a Missouri boy. Uh, over his, uh... His time working as a Nazi spy, uh, a fake Nazi spy, uh, he had taken what is the nowadays equivalent of more than 350,000 U.S. dollars from the Germans for the salaries of his fictitious agents. I really did forget that he was probably paid for all of that. Yeah, Just him, I kind of assumed after some point it was volunteer work. He's in it for the love of the game. Him and his agents were all paid salaries. Uh, and according to, uh, at least the British government, um, pretty much was one of the, uh, 
or Operation Fortitude, at least, of which he was a starring, played a starring role, uh, was one of the uh, biggest reasons that uh, D-Day was a success. So he managed to save countless lives and perhaps turn the entire tide of the war, all while just habitually being called Garbo. Ben, it's been a long time since we hit that European theater, that WW dose. Um, so thank you for bringing me back you to know, the good old days. You're welcome, and I'm glad that you could uh, be introduced to Garbo. I've literally had this idea for about a year and a half, and we just haven't done about it. About 12 episodes ago. Yeah, about 12 episodes. <laughs> You've been listening to the Cock and Bull podcast. I've I have been, been Spencer. Oh. That over there is uh, is not Nathan. We've ripped off the mask. Hi, Ben. Uh, but he's a d- beloved, frequent guest on this show, yeah, Ben. Yeah, I've been, if you count the past 15 episodes, I've been in one-fifth of them. <laughs> you did a lot of prep before this. You had a lot of numbers ready to go. That, that I just came off of the top of my head since I've been in three out of the past 15 episodes. I think we need to, to at least do a ranking system. We need a little March Madness bracket of, uh, of whether you've beaten David Painter for most I, guest appearances. I think David and I are neck and neck now. Ah, that just means you and I need to start a side podcast <laughs> and the circle will be complete. You know, we should. We should uh, make it a sci-fi fantasy type thing. Call it- I was just going to... I was just gonna say. I mean, that 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 all sounds dumb as shit. I was gonna say we simp for imperialism. Oh, that's a good idea. We should simp for imperialism on our podcast called Cooperative Effort. That we haven't made a new episode of in uh, what a year and a half, two years now. It's coming. Rumor, rumor around the block is we've been like writing on it every week for the past like three months. Yeah, though, we've so. been we've been doing. And, we've been doing, but it's, we've been doing. Uh, not We're going to get some guest hosts. Jimmy Fallon's no, going to be on this next season. I'm just, as I'm sitting here, I'm thinking and wondering why I decided to plug our podcast that hasn't had anything new. Hey, hey, if Cyberpunk 2077 and Halo <laughs> Infinite can suggest their existence like 10 fucking years before they come out, why can't we do it with our own show? You're, you're right. I'm I'm actually, I'm going to come out here and I'm, I'm going to say it. I'm going to, I'm going to go the mile. Cooperative oh. Effort Season 2 is going to come Do, out within don't. the next 10 years. Ben, no! God, that's such an unrealistic expectation for me <laughs> to hit. If it's not out by 2030, I'm going to cut off one of Spencer's toes. Fuck, we're going to have to ditch the idea to do claymation. <laughs> we need something faster. <laughs> we're definitely going to have to ditch the idea of you doing one frame of claymation every day. <laughs> Listen... It's either one cock and bull per month or one frame per week. <laughs> you can't have both. <laughs> anyway. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, we, we try and put on an episode every single Wednesday, except for the ones where we don't. We hope you enjoyed listening to it as much uh, as we enjoy making it. In general, uh, they ben, put them out once a month by my count. Yeah. You know, um, we, we want to thank Drifles Pony Club for allowing us to use their song There Were Buffalo on the Ark off the album Cholera. I want to thank them personally. Thanks, Driftless hey, go for Club. It. Not, that's Thank all you. I'm going to say. <laughs> Thanks. I mean, it's all you had to say. And folks, until next time, sayonara, Garbo. Goodbye. Goodbye.